Hello and welcome on to another episode here of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. So the NBA is back. The regular season has started. Almost every team has played their first regular season game. And so I figured we'd go through a few things that I've learned after most of their teams have played their first slate of games. And since the 2019 rookie extension deadline has passed, we'll go through some of that as well. So we'll take a look at some of the 2019 rookie extensions first, talk a little bit about those. And then I'm going to go through five things I learned after the first slate of games on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then at the end, we'll talk about uh, some of how the podcast schedule will work going forward for the regular season. Uh, I think it's probably going to be a once a week thing, and then we'll get into some uh, some other things as well as we get going. So no time wasted. Let's let's get started here. The 2019 extension deadline uh, had some activity. Some guys that were on the trading block seem to have been locked up uh, in a number of different cases. And one of the guys on the, the trade block that we should start with is Bradley Beal. Uh, Bradley Beal, 26-year-old shooting guard for the Washington Wizards, uh, re-ups on his deal for two years, $72 million with a player option in that final year. After that extension is up, uh, Bradley Beal will have served 10 years in the NBA, making him eligible for that 35% Supermax. And... I, I, I guess this is a significance in a number of different ways. First of all, the Wizards lock up Bradley Beal, uh, have him as their go-to guy for this season, and he can't be traded for at least six months after this extension, which means he can't be traded uh, until after the trade deadline this year, which means he'll have to uh, wait until the summer if the Wizards choose to trade him. But uh, Bradley Beal gets his extension of uh, two years, seventy-two million. Aligns himself with that ten-year max, or so that that ten years of service in the NBA, uh, which would make him eligible for that thirty-five percent max after it's over. When he's, I believe, he will be twenty-nine when he's el- or thirty when he's eligible for that super max. And uh, the contract also aligns with that of John Wall. So uh, good for Washington to not only keep their guy but also uh, clean up their books a little bit and allow Washington to kind of pivot and move forward uh, once they decide to do that. And we know that this team is fairly is very much in a rebuild right now. John Wall still recovering for that, from that Achilles tear. Uh, and Bradley Beal, their you know, ascending guard, uh, almost into superstardom at this point with how he's played the last season, um, is locked up for the Wizards. So good for them. Good for them cleaning up their books and good for Bradley Beal uh, getting his money, and that is well-deserved. Next extension we got here is that of Pascal Siakam. Pascal Siakam, 25-year-old power forward for the Toronto Raptors, uh, re-signs for the four-year, $130 million maximum extension uh, with no options uh, on those years, so just a four-year, no-player option, no fifth year. So Pascal Siakam locked up by the Toronto Raptors uh, through his prime until age 29. Uh, This is... This is an extension I think we knew was going to get done at one point or another, whether it was going to get done before the season started or after the season had concluded. Uh, It was just basically up to the Toronto Raptors and their flexibility concerns. So we know Kyle Lowry got extended for one year for another $31 million, tying up their cap space for uh, the 2020 offseason. And this further ties up their cap space uh, in terms of the Raptors for 2020 with Pascal Siakam's extension. But as we've seen with Bradley Beal uh, being gone and a number of other uh, extensions getting done, the 2020 free agent class is looking extremely weak. And so 
it doesn't uh, it doesn't be who of the the Toronto Raptors or many other teams for that matter to keep their cap space open just simply because the number of free agents available in the 2020 the summer of 2020 is very limited and not a lot of franchise changing guys in that offseason so good for the Raptors to get their guy locked up and um, not only that is um, not only do they lock him up but also when they do choose to move forward um, going into 2021, you know, more free agents uh, for the Toronto Raptors to go out and get, knowing that they've got a centerpiece like the likes of Siakam, a guy that has uh, a great attitude, works super hard, has proven himself in the NBA Finals. And that combination, I think, is very attractive to free agents to have a star that you know is going to be there for a number of years and to play alongside a guy like a Pascal Siakam. So no matter who you think that's going uh, to be in terms of that superstar you're trying to attract in 2021, Pascal Siakam's a great piece to have next to whoever you want to play with. He's a very adaptable uh, budding star to have on your squad. So great for the Raptors, great for Pascal to get his money, and uh, they've got their uh, they've got their guy going forward here. Next extension we're going to talk about here is Jalen Brown with the Boston Celtics. Jalen Brown, 23-year-old, small forward or shooting guard, whatever you want to, whatever way you want to look at him here for the Boston Celtics, resigns for four years, 103 million, and he's got incentives that are going to allow him to get up to 115 million. Some of which are achievable, other which others are a little bit harder. So the details on the incentives are a little rusty, but we know. Um, four million of those incentives is if he plays 65 or more games, the team wins 49 or more games and reaches the second round of the playoffs. So very achievable incentives there for Jalen Brown. And I think the other eight million um, is attached to something along the lines of MVP, first team All NBA, um, leading scorer, or something along those lines. But Right now, four years, 103 million guaranteed. The ability to get up to about 108 million uh, with easy incentives, and then 115 with more harder incentives. Uh, you know, this, this this contract, I think a lot of people had mixed feelings on. Personally, I'm still high on Jalen Brown, even despite the inconsistency last year. I still think he has a lot of room to grow. This is a very smart kid. I do like his game. I think his offensive game is underrated. I talked uh, on the pod about with Tom Westerholm about how I think the gap between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum isn't as big as maybe some people think, and I'm still on that bandwagon in terms of understanding that I think Jalen Brown is the superior defender to Jason Tatum, and although I think Tatum's offensive bag is, you know, a lot bigger than Jalen Brown's. I think Jalen Brown's offensive bag is a little underrated. And I think with this extension, hopefully we'll be able to see that with the pressure off now, understanding that he's got his money and he'll be able to just kind of play with a free-flowing attitude, not worrying about his next contract. So I think we're going to see a great Jalen Brown this year. I do think he's going to make a leap. As for this contract and whether I think it's good value... I think I think this is a to be seen one. I, I I don't I don't really have an opinion on you yet. This is one of those ones where you're not paying for who Jalen Brown is right now. You're paying for who Jalen Brown will become. And we've seen a number of contracts that mimic this. We saw the Ben Simmons max uh, in the in the offseason do this. Where you're not you're not paying uh, you know five years 190 for Ben Simmons based on what he is now. You're paying based on what he can be. Jamal Murray falls in the same boat. You know I think it was five years 180 for Jamal Murray. He's not worth that right now. But will he be worth that? Quite possibly. Uh, we've seen that also go badly. We've seen, uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins sign that five-year, I think it was $154 million deal. 
And that has proven to be one of the worst contracts in the league. So there's ways that this can go bad for the Boston Celtics if Jalen Brown seems to be reaching a peak of some sort. Um, I just think he's got more room to grow, and I think that he's not done uh, showing what he can do as a player. Again, only 23 years old. Uh, this this contract will take him through 27. Uh, so I think a, a, a to-be-seen contract here for the Celtics, but I'm not totally out on the idea that this is going to be a bad contract for the Boston Celtics as of right now. Uh, another thing I actually heard just on this contract for the from the Celtics perspective, Zach Lowe said this on the low post. I thought this was an excellent point. The Celtics are really known to have been treating a lot of their guys like assets instead of people. And so maybe this was a sign for the Celtics that hey, we had that this is the first rookie extension they've done since Rajon Rondo in 2009. And so maybe there's something in the front office, in Danny Ainge's head, that says, hey, we're sick and tired of losing out on some of these free agents because they think that we're not treating our guys right. So maybe if we give the perception that, hey, we take care of our guys that we drafted and we we like to keep our guys that we believe in, that maybe haven't proven it all the way, but we believe in them going forward, maybe that says something positive to the market of players that Boston might be able to attract in future years by doing this extension. So I, I, and I tend to agree with that. I think there is some value to the idea that Boston might be trying to upplay their image to the rest of the league and to potential free agents by locking up one of their own guys and trying to shake the stigma that they're just some team that just treats their guys like assets that can be shipped out and brought in as they please with no emotional attachment whatsoever. And we saw this happen with the Anthony Davis trade too as well, right? Uh, we saw Isaiah Thomas go right after, right out the door in 2016 after that hip injury. And Anthony Davis's father said, hey, I don't want Davis playing uh, in Boston after what I saw, after I saw what they did with Isaiah Thomas. And so hopefully, and not hopefully, but I think that there could be some merit to that where Danny Ainge says, hey, maybe it's time to bet on a guy that we believe that we believe in and show the rest of the league that we're more than just this soulless, heartless team that'll just get rid of and bring in players as we please with no emotional attachment. So I thought that was an excellent point there from Zach Lowe, and I tend to agree with that logic. I think that had something to do with this contract as well. But again, this Jalen Brown contract, we'll see if this is a good deal or not. This could end up being very bad. This could end up being a bargain. I think we're still... Uh, we're still, the jury's still out on whether or not this is going to be good for the Celtics. So we'll have to see going forward. All right. We also have Buddy Heald, 26 year old Buddy Heald shooting guard for the Sacramento Kings. He re he re-ups for four years, 86 million. Uh, this contract is declining. So he'll get most of the money up front with the salary declining 8% year over year. And he's got some easy incentives to get up to $94 million and some tougher ones to get up to $106 million. Uh, so we saw that, you know, I think the uh, the Kings offered Buddy Heald four years, $90 million, and he was quite upset with that offer, was even talking in the media about, hey, if Sacramento is my home, I'm happy to go somewhere else, this, that, and the other. But it seems like they did find a middle ground here. $86 million guaranteed. He's able to get easily to $94 million through, I think, some three-point shooting incentives and then uh, some tougher incentives, but that can get him up to $106 million. So they found a bit of a middle ground using the incentives here. 
The contract is declining over the four years, and so by the time Buddy Heald reaches 29-30, he's going to have his lowest cap hit in those years, which is very helpful for the Kings, and Buddy Heald gets most of his money up front like he's looking for. So win-win for both sides, in my opinion. I do think Buddy Heald is worth this contract. He was an excellent shooter last year for the Kings, and I still think he has room to grow despite being 26. Uh, I still think he's got uh, some more juice left in the tank to become an even better player, especially taking the ball off the dribble and things of that nature. So uh, Buddy Heald gets his money four years, $86 million, with the potential to get up to 106 through incentives. So uh, good contract here for Buddy Heald. I think it's a win-win. I think this is a good contract from the Kings' perspective. And I think Buddy Heald's uh, good to get uh, his bag as well. I think he's well worth it. Next, we got here Demonis Sabonis, 23-year-old power forward or center, depends on how you want to look at that, for the Indiana Pacers. He re-ups for four years, $77 million, and he can get up to about $85 million in incentives. And uh, with this deal, I think it comes down to one thing. Can Sabonis and Turner play together? If those guys can play together and they can prove that they can be on the floor in crunch time and have make an impact, then I think this contract is going to be very good for the Pacers. I think um, you they paid him about the same amount as they paid Miles Turner. I think Miles Turner at this point is a better contract than that of Sabonis just because I think Turner has proven a little bit more, especially defensively. But I do think Sabonis can get to be worth this contract. Again, only 23 years old. Uh, we know bigs take a little bit longer to develop. But to me, I think it's up to... Can Sabonis and Turner play together? If those two guys can survive on the floor in crunch time for Indiana and you can play those guys and they're solid playing together, well, I think this is a great contract. Um, but if you're going to have to play, if you're going to have to stagger those guys and you've got, you know, an, almost $40 million locked up uh, per year in your front court, that's going to be a big problem uh, flexibility-wise for the Indiana Pacers, especially since uh, you paid a boatload of money to Brogdon and now you got uh, Oladipo coming back off an of injury. Uh, he's going to probably want a new deal uh, coming up uh, in the next couple of years here. So we're, we're going to see how this works out. But if they can play together, it's a good deal. If not, I think Indiana is going to be in for some issues. So we'll see how that works. Um, I, think the, I think so far it hasn't really worked, them playing together, uh, in terms of you know some of the net rating numbers and things of that nature. But... We'll see. I'm I'm not I'm not totally out on them playing together yet. I want to see a little bit more of it, but as of right now, it's not looking good for them playing together. Uh, I'll say that. So Demonis Sabonis, four years, seventy-seven million incentives that can get him up to eighty-five. Next one we got here: twenty-three-year-old point guard Deontay Murray for the Spurs. Four years, $64 million. He can get up to seventy million with some incentives. Again, Deontay Murray coming up. That torn ACL uh, that made him miss all of last season, but did show some flashes uh, shooting the ball and obviously was the youngest uh, player to make an all-defensive team a couple of years ago. So again, we're paying a little bit for potential here, but I do think Deontay Murray is going to be worth this deal. Uh, 23 years old, has shown a lot of defensive potential. Uh, he's very uh, little dynamic with the ball in his hands, can push the ball in transition, uh, very long, uh, uh, very lengthy finisher around the rim and stuff like that. And if that shot comes around, I think he can be a very valuable, valuable player for the Spurs. And again, you're locking him up for four years from 23 up to until 27. So if he gets in his prime and really breaks out as a, as a potential all-star, that could be a bargain contract for the Spurs. So I, I like this deal uh, for the Spurs. And Deontay Murray gets some security, right? Like you're coming off a torn ACL. You don't know how you're going to play this year. 
you get that money secured before the year even starts, uh, and you and you get some and you get some money secured. If he came if he came off this torn ACL and doesn't look as good, well, it's going to be much harder for him to get a deal uh, this coming off season. So good for him to get his money. Uh, Sixty four million dollars is life changing money, and when you're coming off a torn ACL like that, you especially when you're twenty three years old, you really want to make sure that you're financially stable going forward. And the Spurs have clearly provided that with him. Um, so again, much like the Buddy Heald contract, I think this is a win win for both sides, uh, and I think Deontay Murray is going to be well worth this money. Torian Prince for the Brooklyn Nets, 25-year-old, uh, small forward, two years, $29 million re-up. Um, you know, for Torian Prince, I'm interested as to why they did this. I'm not entirely sure that I would have paid him this money yet, especially since the trade, you know, just went down to bring him in over there from Atlanta. We know defensively, Torian Prince hasn't lived up to the bill. Uh, a 3 and D guy with no with no D as of right now. He can definitely shoot the ball, but I think I would have liked to see uh, Prince prove a little bit more before giving him $14.5 million a season. Um, I don't necessarily care for that too much. I think I think he has more to prove uh, before you want to go ahead and give him $14.5 million um, from Brooklyn's standpoint. So uh, good for Prince for getting a, a contract extension, but again, two years for uh, $29 million. I I don't I don't see the the entire purpose of that personally from Brooklyn's perspective, um, so I'll, I'll be I'll be out on that one personally. I don't, I don't like that extension, but nonetheless, Torian Prince, uh, two years, twenty nine million there with the Brooklyn Nets. <clears throat> All right, last one we got here, Joe Ingles, uh, small forward here for the Utah Jazz. He re ups for one more year for fourteen million dollars. Uh, Joe Ingles is going to be a sixth man after being a starter uh, for a long time for the Jazz. He's going to be the first guy off the bench there for the Utah Jazz, and I, I like Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles is just a solid all-around player. Uh, good defensively, shoots the ball at an elite level on a catch-and-shoot basis, can do a little bit with the ball in his hands. He's just an all-around great, solid basketball player, and I think he's, he's going to thrive even more coming off the bench as a six-man role. Reducing his minutes a little bit at 32, maximizing his effectiveness by not overplaying him. Uh, I like the extension for Utah. Keeping him around uh, for another year has no uh, no problem for me. Uh, I, li- I like his game and I like what he can do. So uh, Joe Ingles, one year, $14 million with the Utah Jazz at 32 years old. All right, that's all the that's all the extensions. Some of them rookie extensions. Some of them just flat-out extensions in the case of uh, Prince and Ingles. Uh, and Beal and C- uh, and no Siakam still a rookie extension. Uh, just Beal, Prince, and Ingles were the only ones that weren't rookie extensions. And now we're going to get into the five things I learned after the first slate of games. Uh, so again, almost every team has played at least one game so far, and so I want to go through at least five things that I took away uh, from those games uh, going from top down. Okay, number five. Oklahoma City is going to be no pushover. They will be in the playoff mix this season and could possibly even be an 8 seed. I'm telling you that right now. They played the Jazz last they played the Jazz last night and were incredibly feisty uh defensively and off- and offensively. I think there's some stuff to iron out offensively, but defensively they looked really good. And there was some flashes on offense as well. They've clearly got a little big three going there with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, 26 points last night with a uh, team-high 36 minutes. Chris Paul, 22 minutes, or sorry, uh, 22 points in 30 minutes. That's going to be around what he's going to be playing um, on a night-to-night basis there for the Thunder. And then Danilo Gallinari, who only had 28 minutes but did score 21 points. Uh, and then along with um, Steven Adams, who had a bit of a rough night playing against uh, the 
two-time defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. But I think there's some things that you can uh, take away from this game. And one of them is that I think OKC's defense is very solid. Um, they've got some great defenders. We know Chris Paul, great defender. Shea Gildas-Alexander, very good defender. You know, Gallinari, not known as the greatest defender, but can be a big body, can be a bit of a deterrent in the way there. Terrence Ferguson has some, uh, some defensive chops. Steven Adams has some defensive chops. Um, and, you know, Hamadou Diallo is no scrub defensively either. So I think there's some good defensive prowess here for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And on, on offense, there's uh, still some stuff to be improved, but there were some encouraging signs as well. I mean, Shea Gildas-Alexander, I believe, got up eight three-pointers. That is an encouraging sign uh, from a guy who was kind of hesitant to shoot the three but shot it at a decent percentage. Sorry, seven three-pointers, and he made three of them. Chris Paul got up seven three-pointers, made four of them. Danilo Gallinari hit two threes. Uh, so th stuff like that is going to be good. The spacing is good. Chris Paul looked very good uh, last night. He looked like a guy that can still run an offense at uh, 34 years old, still look like a guy uh, who you want as a lead point guard and still looked like an elite point guard in the league. Uh, played some very good defense on Mike Connolly as well, who only went 1 of 15. Uh, I think the only thing that you're worried about uh, right now is I think the chemistry between Chris Paul and Steven Adams looked a little bit off to me. Uh, I think Adams was setting some good screens for CP3, but I think when it came to Chris Paul getting the ball into the post of Steven Adams, it looked like Adams was taking just a little bit too long to get that ball up into the rim uh, and finishing at the rim. It looked like he took an extra dribble a couple of times uh, when CP would throw him a pass into the into the deep post, into that restricted area, and Adams was having trouble finishing around the rim. Again, just one of eight tonight, or last night. Uh, so I think that's going to have to be cleaned up a little bit, but that's some, that's some minor stuff. And again, you're not going to be playing the defensive player of the year uh, at center every night either. So Steven Adams is going to have some more opportunities to score and be more effective. But I think just uh, finishing around the rim for Steven Adams was a bit of trouble tonight. But I think there was some encouraging signs for the Oklahoma City Thunder in terms of their grit. Uh, and on offense, uh, they looked like they can uh, still have some potential to make some big shots. And defensively, holding the Jazz to 100 points, I think, was no um, – in U in Salt Lake City, Utah, at that was uh, nothing to be ashamed of either. So, number five, OKC, no pushover, and they're going to be in the mix for that eight seed. Number four, R.J. Barrett simply just won't be a bust. This guy is too good to be a bust. 21 points for the Knicks last night. Uh, he was very good going to the rim. He had a, a nice little Euro step, hit some corner threes. He looks like he just belongs now. He had some early struggles there in Summer League, had a tough time getting it going for his first couple games, but now looks like he's going to survive in this league. He's an incredibly hard worker. You know, Steve Nash, his godfather, works with the best uh, trainer in the league, in my opinion, in Drew Hanlon. Rowan Barrett is a member, a former member of the Canadian national team. He grew up in a basketball family. He's got good mentors around him. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Uh, I just think RJ Barrett is going to be a great player in this league and uh, 21 points in his regular season debut, although it did come in a loss uh, to the San Antonio Spurs. 21 points in his debut. Uh, I believe he went 8 of 11 uh, from the field. Uh, let me quickly check that out just to be sure there. But I believe uh, R.J. Barrett, I believe in his skill set, and I believe that uh, he's going to be a, a good player and going to be versatile. 9 of 13 from the field there from R.J. Barrett. 1 of 3 from 3. Uh, he did have 3 turnovers and, and was a minus 2. But again, um, I think he's going to be a great player, and I think that you can put those bust uh, stuff to bed. He's going to be a solid player and a potential all-star in this league. I don't think there's any question about that. 
All right, number three. The Lakers' depth is simply a question mark right now. Um, the Lakers lost to the Clippers 112-102 to on Tuesday night. Uh, and I think that a glaring weakness outside of, you know, uh, LeBron James not having his best game, 18-10-8, sounds like an off night for LeBron James, but it was 7-19, uh, um, one just 1-5 of five from 3, had 5 turnovers, wasn't LeBron's best game, but it was the bench that was very, very concerning. Um, well, again, Anthony Davis, Twenty. we should mention the rest of the starters too, 25-9-5 for Anthony Davis, Danny Green exploded for 28 points at a team high, 10-14 of 14 from the field, 7-9 of nine from 3, but again, the bench is what really killed uh, the Lakers in this game. We got Avery Bradley, minus one. JaVale McGill, McGee was a zero um, in, in the plus-minus category. Contavious Caldwell-Pult, minus eight. Dwight Howard, minus one. Troy Daniels, minus 13. Quinn Cook, minus nine. Jared Dudley, minus 20 in 13 minutes. Minus 20 in 13 minutes for Jared Dudley. Just not good at all. And then below that, you got a DNP for Alex Caruso. He should be playing, in my opinion. Costa uh, Sonnenacumpo, Zach Norvell, Taylor Horton Tucker, Kyle Kuzma, and Rondo were out for this game. <clears throat> so maybe getting Rondo and Kuzma back and maybe playing a little bit more Caruso might help this team. But it, it is concerning. It is concerning. I, I think the, uh, the Clippers outscored the Lakers bench 60 to like to twenty to like 28 or something ridiculous like that. Um so it, it's gonna it's gonna have to it's gonna have to improve uh, f- from a um, from a bench perspective there for the Lakers, uh, and I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if we're going to uh, if there's gonna have to be a trade that gets made. But right now, just off one game, and again, I know there was no Rondo, I know there was no Kuzma, uh, Caruso didn't play, all that sort of stuff. You get a lot more than what you got from uh, uh, two nights ago from the Lakers bench, and uh, it's a question mark until. Until proven otherwise right now for the Los Angeles Lakers. All right, number two. The Suns will not be the worst team in the league this year. No, they will not. They are actually a competent NBA team this year. They didn't even have real NBA rotation players last year, and that has changed. Uh, they beat the Kings 124-95. Uh, to 95. Um, A great game from the Phoenix Suns, I, mu- I must add. And, like, just going down their roster, like, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre Jr., Ricky Rubio, Dario Saric, Mikhail Bridges, Frank Kaminsky, Javon Carter, Tyler Johnson, Aaron Baines. These guys are actual legit rotation players. And you can even go a little further. Elia Kobo, uh, Czech Diallo, Ty Jerome, Cam Johnson. Uh, these guys can actually these guys can actually play. And so when you go almost 15 deep for the Suns, you finally see guys that can actually that actually belong on an NBA roster, uh, which they haven't had in some time. So, I mean, just that's just that starter, just those starters of, you know, Aiton uh, and Booker and uh, Ubre and Rubio and Saric. That is at least you know quality rotation that they haven't had in a while. And those first uh, four guys off the bench: uh, Mikhail Bridges, Frank Kaminsky, Javon Carter. And Tyler Johnson, and even Aaron Baines to some extent. Those they go ten deep, which at least is something they haven't had in past years. Hopefully, with Monty Williams in the mix, they can have a different attitude, a different approach to playing the game. And uh, another step for uh, DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker would help as well. But the Suns just they won't be a pushover anymore, and they won't be the worst team in the league. And that's that's just a pleasant sight to see, if you ask me. So good for good for the Phoenix Suns finally taking a step in the right direction. 
All right, and the number one thing that I took away from uh, the slate of games over the past two nights is that the Philadelphia 76ers defense will be the best in the NBA. You can book that in my opinion. They have guys from one through seven that are just solid defenders. I mean, you look at this starting lineup of Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Joel Embiid. Tobias Harris is the weak link defensively in that rotation, and he's not even that bad defensively, in my opinion. Uh, ben Simmons, quality defender. Josh Richardson, all defense type of defender. Al Horford, incredibly smart defender, especially team and switch defender. And Joel Embiid, defensive player of the year candidate. And then we get into Matisse Thibel, who is just a dog defensively. If you don't know about Matisse Thibel, you're going to learn very quickly because he is all up in your grill. You can just see that the the energy of this team and the mentality is just suffocating for teams. I mean, there was one possession last night in, against the Celtics where uh, Josh Richardson was just pressuring in the backcourt, pressuring, pressuring um, Kemba Walker, and they didn't even get it even close to the logo before uh, forcing an eight-second call in the backcourt. And just you could see Richardson clapping his hands uh, emphatically, knowing that that's what they were trying to do. This Sixers team is just incredible. Six through six guys, they have very, very good defenders, all of which can switch, all of which uh, are just tenacious and have a defensive first mentality, and that is that is very good. Well, I mean, Simmons, obviously offensive first, but Joel Embiid, uh, Al Horford are defensive guys. You know, Josh Richardson, same thing. Uh, and I, I still uh, maintain that I think Tobias Harris is at least an adequate defender, and Matisse Thibel is a uh, just a dog defensively. So I think they're going to have the best defensive rating in the league this year, and it's going to be very hard for teams to score on uh, on the the 76ers. So look out for that as the season rolls along. So that'll conclude this episode of the Iso Ball Podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. Going forward, what we're probably going to do is a once-a-week pod, and it'll be something along the lines of last week in the NBA. So I'll probably release them, you know, Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, just going through what I saw over the last week in the NBA in terms of games, things that I saw, uh, and maybe we'll have some different segments. We'll maybe some have uh, some people join us. Uh, maybe we'll focus on specific games if there was a real good one, specific performances, uh, if there's like a big time performance, you know, like Kyrie went for 50 the other night uh, and almost did the damn slip and slide from NBA Street Volume 2 to win the game. That was insanity. But we'll go through stuff like that and just kind of talk about it. And then in addition to that, what I want to start doing is what this week I learned. So it's going to be a segment where and it's going to be whether it's like a specific cap, uh, salary cap situation? Is it like a specific tactical basketball move? Is it like an overall X's and O's thing? Is it a front office thing that I learned? Is it like an NBA lifestyle thing that I learned? Just something that I learned in the NBA, and it might be something I already know, might be something I learned, but just something, one thing a week that you can take away uh, into your brain and say, huh, okay, I, I might not have known that before Derek talked to me about that. Like, We'll do, we'll do one right now. Uh, the Spain pick and roll. The Spain pick and roll is something that I've come to learn a little bit more where you see a traditional pick and roll happen, but what will happen is there'll be a third guy that screens the, se the second guy guarding the big in the pick and roll, and then will flare out to the three-point line 
for an open three-point shot, and it creates a ton of confusion for the defense because you have to communicate because there's now three guys in the action that you have to defend instead of two. And so that has caused a ton of problems. The Jazz have run that. Uh, you see the Rockets have run that. You've seen the Warriors to some extent have run that. The Raptors ran that uh, in the finals a little bit. There's so many teams running that action. So be on the lookout for that. When you see a traditional pick and roll, watch for that third defender to see if he's back screening the big playing in the drop coverage. And then that will be the Spain pick and roll that we're talking about. Um, or they call it the stack pick and roll as well. I think they call it the Spain pick and roll because it was originated in the in Spain in, um, <clears throat> in the internationals. So be on the lookout for that. So that's an example of things that I can uh, talk about as things that I learned uh, about the NBA this week. And it'll be all not, uh, a myriad of topics, not just X's and O's, but all, uh, all types of stuff. So thanks so much for listening. I can't express how much uh it's great to, to have the nba back you can find us on every single pretty much all places you get your podcasts and if you can leave us five stars on itunes that would just be friggin' unbelievable we could use more ratings more people finding out about the podcast i'm going to be doing this once a week and starting to do uh content on other platforms as well you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at IsoBallPod or search IsoBallPodcast on YouTube for some breakdowns as well. Uh, and we're going to get the content uh, flowing uh, like the River of Babylon this year. So don't you worry. There's going to be a lot more content coming from this podcast and from my other channels as well. So be sure to stay tuned. Thanks for listening and enjoy the NBA season. We'll talk to you next week.